Well, um, it's lovely to, to be able to address all of you on this topic of anxiety. Um, I want to throw out a question to start off with. How do you know if you're anxious? And just pop out a word or two or a phrase or two. Um, how do you know that you're anxious? What are your clues? What are your signposts that you're anxious? Say the Say it a little louder. Out of control of the situation. Feel out of control yes. of the situation, right? Yes. Irregular heartbeat. Irregular heartbeat. Feeling helpless. Feeling helpless. Insomnia. Insomnia. Good one, yes. Forgetting some important things. Forgetting things, important things especially as well, yes. Tight throat. Tight throat, yep. Empty stomach. Retching. Clenching, sorry, got it. Clenching stomach. Deep rest. Deep rest. Deep rest. Sorry? Depressed. Thank you. Sorry, forgive me. Um, yeah, depressed. Feeling depressed, feeling down. Confusion. So some physiological things, some mental things going on. One of the big signs for me is what time I start waking up. When I start waking up at 5 a.m., then 4.30, then 4 a.m., then 3 a.m., and I can't get back to sleep. But for some other people, it might be that they just don't even want to wake up and get up, right? It might be more sleep than less sleep. Rushing, um, doing things. Um, while I'm trying to do my quiet time in the morning, if I'm you know, trying to pray or read the word, my thoughts are going to other things, what else I've got going on during the day. But we don't always know that we're anxious, right? Sometimes we're a little bit blind to it and we aren't always fully aware of what's going on in our hearts and minds. Um, so those are just a few of the things, um, but it's, it, it has a number of different aspects to it. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But let's, let's just unpack what is anxiety and some of the, the different terminology that we have around anxiety. Um, there are words like fear, stress, worry, anxiety. Is there any difference between those? What, what do those different words mean? So fear usually says, I am in danger, right? A lion walks through the door, he's hungry and he's growling. In that moment, I experience a valid fear response to something that is dangerous. I am stressed is a more colloquial way of saying that I'm worried or I'm anxious or I'm feeling overwhelmed. I can't cope with all these stressful factors that, are, that I'm finding in my life. Worry and anxiety are on the continuum of, of fear, right? We, we, often, we wouldn't often say, I'm fearful. More likely to say I'm anxious or I'm worried or I'm uh, along those lines. But fear, fear, as I said, is more in the present. I am in danger generally, and anxiety is usually more about the future. Um, so I think there will be a danger, or something or someone I love will be threatened in the future. It's usually more towards the future, and and we go down these pathways of what if. Um, I have, have a friend who recently was in a, in a huge car accident and her what if is, what if I can never walk again? My job depends on me, it's a very physical job, my job depends on me 
to be able to, to walk again. So her mind is going to the worst case scenario, her income is going to be impacted, so what if, and it just we go down that rabbit hole of the worst thing is going to happen. But fear and anxiety also have a past aspect to them because they're based on our previous experiences of being in situations where there's been some sort of threat or attack. And so there's this timeline that we live in, past, present and future, that is affected uh, by fear and anxiety. So what exactly is anxiety? Um, there'd be many different ways to define it, but here's one way that John Henderson uh, defines it. He says that anxiety is a prolonged sensation of fear in response to a perceived threat. A prolonged sensation of fear in response to a perceived threat. So not always an actual threat, right? Especially if it's future-oriented. So there's this mind, there are four aspects to it. There's this mindful awareness of the threat. So we have these thinking patterns that are developing as we're aware of a threat. But then there's also an emotional anticipation of pain or of loss associated with uh, that potential threat, the fear of losing some, someone we love, um, and, and the emotional experience that goes with that. Maybe some sadness, maybe some, you know, in addition to the anxiety. But there's also a physical arousal. As many of you mentioned earlier, there are physical symptoms. There's an increased um, heart rate. There's blood flow to major organs increases, increase in sweating. So with the example of a lion being there, your body is preparing to run. You need all that physiological stuff to happen for you to be able to get away from the lion. Um, people often talk about supernatural strength that can happen in, in moments of intense, um, an intense thing like that, fear, fear or anxiety, where they do things that they never imagined they would ever normally be able to do. And that's the adrenaline and all of the physiological stuff that kicks in um, to help us deal with what's happening. And then fourthly, there's, there's an attempt usually to control we don't like to be out of control. I think someone mentioned control earlier. And so we act in order to either defeat the, the sense of attack that we have or to escape from the threat. So either we're going to fight the lion or we're going to run from him. There is a third option that, that happens for some of us as well, which is to freeze. Like we're just totally paralyzed in the moment. And anxiety can lead to panic attacks. Um, the Mayo Clinic describes panic attacks as a sudden episode of intense fear that triggers severe physical reactions when there is, listen to this, no real danger or apparent cause. Not that there's no cause, but there's no real danger or apparent cause in that moment. Panic attacks can be incredibly frightening. Um, and one of the worst things about panic attacks is you fear having another panic attack because they are so physiologically arousing and scary in and of themselves. And so physical symptoms with a panic attack can include um, things like um, an impending sense of danger, fear of loss of control or of death, rapid pounding heart rate, sweating, trembling, shaking, you can actually think that you're, you're having a heart attack. I know people who've thought that they're having a heart attack 
and they do all the medical tests and there's nothing physiologically wrong. When the doctors inquire more, it turns out that people have been living under a lot of stress for a long period of time, have ignored that stress and it's gotten to the point that their body is, um, is, is now just shutting down and, and really struggling with the, the amount of stress and anxiety. Um, so what are the biblical roots then? If we go to scripture, what are the biblical roots in relation to anxiety and fear? And I'm going to use them more interchangeably now, the, the terms anxiety and fear. So in Genesis 1 and 2, um, we learn that we were created for shalom, for peace, right? That, that everything that God made is good and functions the way that it's meant to function and that we, he, he wants us to experience life and blessing and abundance. Um, and there's relational peace. Ad, and God walks in the garden with Adam and Eve. Um, there's a sense of blessing and there's, there's rest, right? God created the seventh. On the seventh day, God rested and he builds into his design that sense of, of rest. In Genesis 2, 15 and 17, we read in, in the Bible... Then the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And so we see there, even right in the beginning, there's, there is a threat or a potential threat, right? There's a potential threat of something that um, is not good. And so God speaks a word of command. He says, do not. He's, he's actually protecting. It's a word of protection over Adam and Eve because there would be a consequence to them uh, eating from that fruit, from that tree. And then as we progress into Genesis 3, we get to the part of the narrative that talks about the fall of Adam and Eve into sin. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said? And so the word of God is challenged. The protective word of God, the word that the command that sort of said, don't do this, do this, don't do this, is challenged. And they do not heed God's warning. They do not listen to the word of God. Instead, they choose to listen to the word of another, of Satan, the lies of Satan. And they know that they are naked. They knew that they were naked for the first time. That speaks to guilt and shame entering into the human experience. And so anxiety has a measure of guilt and shame. It's not always entirely on its own, right? Our emotions are like a cocktail. <laughs> A big mixed-up ball. Usually, there's there's anger, resentment, bitterness, guilt, shame, um, sadness, loss that's involved. And so, what do Adam and Eve do in once once they've actually entered into um, doing what they were they were told was dangerous and not good for them to do? They decide to try and fix it. They make coverings for themselves. They use the fig leaves to try and cover themselves. They hide under the trees um, to get away from the presence of the Lord. They, sell, they seek to, to self-protect 
Um, they seek safety and they try to take control of things and try to fix things. And so when the Lord calls Adam and he says, where are you? How does Adam respond? He says, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So that's the first time in scripture that we have the word fear or being afraid coming up. So what is the real threat in the garden? It's the temptation to turn away from God and his word of instruction and to believe the word of another, Satan. It's not really about the fruit. It's about relationship. And the relationship between Adam and Eve is broken, is damaged, as they turn away from God and his word and believe the word of Satan, who is saying that God is not really good. He's holding back from you. He's holding wisdom from you. But fear is not necessarily in and of itself sinful. Not always. Often there is sin involved, but not always. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 and 11, similarly, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of uh, the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. Do not fear, do not be afraid is one of the most commanded instructions in the Bible. Why? The Bible assumes that we are going to fear, that we're going to worry, that we're going to be anxious. After all, we live in a fallen and broken world and we ourselves have been affected by that fall. We ourselves are broken. Our emotions, everything is not working and functioning properly in the way that God designed it to function. And so the object of our fear is often the issue. Not the fact that we fear, but the object of our fear. Adam and Eve should have feared God in the sense of when he said you will surely die. They should have feared him in order to be protected. And so the fear of the Lord is really a sense of awe or of trusting him. It's also what we do with our fear or our anxiety that often leads to or results in further sin, if, uh, even, if, even if the fear itself wasn't necessarily direct sin. Um, and so we ignore, we don't listen We protect, we avoid, we cover up, we seek to fix things in our own strength when things have gone wrong. And the other problem is on whom our attention is focused when uh, we are anxious. So public speaking was something I would never have done in the past. And even now, when I prepare to speak in public like this, I have to remind myself that this is not about me and it's not about whether you like me or whether I remember everything I have to say. 
I have to remind myself that the Lord has given me some knowledge and some wisdom that I can share with you. And this morning is about you and what the Lord has to say about you. When I'm anxious, then I'm making it about me because of my past experiences of rejection and my fear of being rejected or that somebody wouldn't like me or wouldn't agree with something that I had to say. And so, and so more often than not, I know that when I am anxious, my attention is inwardly focused. It's on me. And I've forgotten what the Lord has said or forgotten to look, out, look up and look out. Um, and so anxiety has that self-protecting agenda and doesn't easily trust. Because I've been hurt in the past, I'm, I will immediately assume that there are people in this audience who might be untrustworthy and might not like me, right? And so based on our past experience, we seek to um, self-preservation. John Henderson says, an anxious life cannot be avoided when self-preservation is our chief ambition. Why? If our hope rests in our own power and goodness, we are in trouble. No matter how much we try to control our world in our strength, using our wisdom and size, we will fail. Because, after all, we are fallen, broken human beings, right? And our emotions are good. They've been given to us by God. He created them. He didn't say to Adam, you know, you must uh, feel um, guilt and shame. He's built it into the design of who we are for us to respond emotionally in certain ways as well. And our emotions tell us what is going on inside of us and what is going on around us. They're an expression of our loves and our values. Our emotions reveal our hearts. What do you love most is the flip side of the same coin of what you will fear most. Think about that for a moment. What you love most is the flip side of the same coin, what you will fear most. If you love your family, you will fear losing them, and rightly so, right? If you love your good reputation and the approval of others, as I've said, you'll fear being humiliated and embarrassed in front of, of people. If you fear poverty, in other words, you love comfort and the things that money can buy, you will do all you can to build a base of wealth. And so those fears will also drive our actions. So fear motivates us to seek safety, control and certainty. As I've said, these are not in and of themselves bad things either. Right? You don't want to go into a situation where it's dangerous and you're going to get mugged on purpose. You know, you, you, you're not wanting to be out of control or risk, you know, risk, risk things unnecessarily. But given that we're living in a broken world, marred by sin, you will never be completely safe, fully in control, or 100% certain of what's coming next. You were never meant to be. <laughs> Instead, dangers, dependence, and uncertainties are signposts that point us, or should point us, not to a strategy, but to a person, 
to the one whose control and utterly certain character are our only real safety. You know who that one is. So what is needed? Given that we are broken people living in a broken world, there is a healthy level of tension, dare I call it anxiety, that we should experience. And we call that vigilance. Ryan McCarthy, um, in his uh, talk on overwhelmed dealing with fear, stress, and anxiety, said that vigilance is to keep watch, to stay awake, and to be ready to go into vigorous action in response to to an actual threat. Right? So we need to be ready. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 13 says that believers are instructed to be watchful, to stand firm, and to act like men, to be strong. And Ephesians 6.10 says, says putting on the armor of, it talks about putting on the armor of God from 10 till 20 in that um, passage to withstand the work of the devil, right? So we need to be vigilant. Jesus himself, listen to this, Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane with the disciples knows all about being betrayed and what does he tell his disciples to do? It's recorded in Matthew chapter 26. Remain here and watch with me. Jesus prays to his father and he comes back and he finds them sleeping. So could you not watch one hour with me? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And this happens three times. And so vigilance in the face of imminent danger is necessary. There is a a good aspect to anxiety, right? If the lion walks in here and is roaring, there'd be something wrong with me if I didn't respond to protect. We need to be vigilant. But if there's no lion, and I had an attack by a lion six years ago, and I'm still acting as if any moment, wherever I am, there's a lion going to be walking into the room, then it's gone out of kilter. And so anxiety is a state of hypervigilance or vigilance that is out of control. So we can either be warriors or warriors, depending on how you spell that. We can either have crippling anxiety and hypervigilance, be a worry wart is the other word we use for it. Or we can be warriors in the, the vein of Ephesians 6, right? Where we put on the armor of God, that kind of warrior. And so Isaiah um, chapter 41 says, Fear not, verse 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isn't that amazing? And I can't tell you how many times that has just blown my mind in Scripture. If I look for what God does, there is so much that He does, but I'm so busy trying to fix it myself and thinking that acting as if He's not there, as if He's not involved in my life. And in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, 
For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So it's the presence of the Lord. It's that relationship with the Lord that helps us so much in anxiety. Anxiety and worries cannot be resolved overnight. Plenty of times when I'm counselling, people come and you kind of say, well, you know, what's the issue? What are you struggling with? How can I help you? Now, I just want to be rid of this anxiety. Sorry, I've got bad news for you. <laughs> as long as we live in this world, we are going to have anxiety. Anxiety, it takes, a, a, it takes an entire life given to God in faith, working itself out through love and over time. So it's not a quick fix, not an overnight thing. It takes growing in the knowledge of God and his grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. It takes a posture of repentance, humility, and waiting on the Lord. And it takes a new set of desires based on hope in the Lord and on his promises. Those are the, the four things that Henderson talks about. And so the Christian's aim in battling anxiety is not victory over anxiety, but victory in anxiety. There's a difference there, right? Not victory over it, but victory in it. Victory over anxiety will only be experienced when Christ returns. And as we learn in Revelation 21, where it says, and we, we look forward to this day, how amazing it'll be, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things will have passed away. I've prepared a, a take-home sheet for you um, with some, some things that I'm going to run through now. I think I've still got enough time to, to run through a little bit of that and weave into that a bit of my own um, sort of dealing with anxiety from my, from my own life. And so we need to engage God with our fear or anxiety. Um, and in order to do that, we've got to be able to identify what are my fears. And we, we can be oblivious to it sometimes, or some of the, some of the deeper fears too, right? We might know some of, some of the things, but not, very, not necessarily all of them. So what are my fears? What are the cues or triggers for my anxiety? What is it that is under threat? Just asking yourselves those questions when you start to notice some of those things we spoke about right at the beginning happening. Uh, the knot in your stomach, um, you know, the, the neck, the kind of whatever's going on physiologically. What am I afraid of right now? What, what is it that's stirring in me? What's being triggered? Then we have to examine a little bit deeper, not just name that. But in what contexts or circumstances do I feel this fear? And what am I doing about my fear? What am I valuing or why would I care if I lost my job, for instance? Right? What, what's actually going on? And then we, we even examine it and evaluate it a little bit further, a little bit deeper. See, there'll be a, a bunch of questions there around sort of taking a hard look at yourself and not just your circumstances. 
we can very easily with emotions think, BC just made me angry, you know? Or if it wasn't for COVID, I would never be an anxious person, right? I was not anxious before COVID. COVID made me anxious. We, we kind of tend to externalize. Um, and those things matter. They, they impress upon us. They may trigger things in us. But where is the anxiety experienced? In here, in here, in this body, right? So I have to look at what's going on inside of myself. What's going on in my mind? What lies am I believing in my anxious state? So in my anxious state, um, you know, if I'm doing an, doing an exam or some kind of um, evaluated work, um, the lies I might be believing is I'm going to fail. And I can tell you, when I went back to college in, in my 30s, to study again in my later 30s, it was ridiculous. Like, I, all my life I'd been sort of a, a B, C student, sometimes getting A's. But in my mind, I still believed it was possible that I would fail. Like, it's, it was, I was so far from failing that even if I tried, I probably couldn't fail because of my character of being so prepared, it would almost be hard for me to fail. And yet, at some level, I believed that I would fail. So I have to deal with my mind, with my thoughts, my, in terms of my anxious state. Is my reaction to this fear godly and constructive? Or am I acting in destructive and sinful ways? So there are a bunch of questions that you'll have in the worksheet there, which basically boil down to, what is my fear telling me that I love? So the flip side of that coin, right? What is my fear telling me that I love? And then in terms of acting in response to fear. So we need to face the reality that we have to go outside of ourselves for answers and seek the God who is in control. Even when we believe we're in control, we're not actually right in many senses. We have to go outside of ourselves to the God who is in control. We have to turn to scripture and cry out to him as as Bong uh, and Kosi shared in terms of just how helpful the Psalms have been. Psalm 27 is a particularly good and helpful Psalm. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And so we turn to him and pray and ask our Heavenly Father to help us. But I've also had people say, but I've prayed and I've prayed and you know, I'm still anxious. You know, <laughs> What's going on? God is not going to flip a switch on your anxiety. We need to focus our thoughts. We need to do our part. The, the, the process of sanctification is a partnership with God. He works in us as we work out our salvation. And so we need to focus our thoughts on present reality, not on future possibilities. In terms of the future, we need to turn the what-ifs into even if statements. So Psalm 46 um, is helpful in, the, in terms of this particularly. Um, it says, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way, even if the earth were to give way, right? Even if 
The earth were to give way and the mountains were to fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters, or even if the waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so taking my thoughts captive and working with those thoughts, not being in the future. When I'm sitting in, in the morning and reading scripture and I'm thinking about the person I'm going to see later that day, I'm not in the present. Then I'll be anxious and I have to pull my mind back and say, Lord, please help me just to focus on the word and to talk to you and to entrust that to you. I'll get to that later. Habakkuk does something similar, very similar um, opening. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Though the fig tree may blossom, uh, may not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no, um, no food, even if or even though the flock uh, may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the Lord, in the Lord of my salvation. And so it's about faith, right? That, that in the face of difficult circumstances, I will continue to trust the Lord. And I will know that He is good, that He is my rock and my refuge. Um, he will carry me through, He will be with me through the hard things. God gives us himself, his presence, to deal with our anxiety. Think of a child um, who is scared of the dark at night. might have been you when you were younger, right? Scared of the dark. What do you want to do? You want to go to your mom or your dad and crawl into their bed. You want the presence of someone more powerful than you, someone who loves you, someone whom you trust. And even though those thoughts are still there, you just feel comforted and you have that strength, right? From the parents, that comfort that they offer. And God is like that. God is the one in whom we can put our trust. And so the encouragement also is not to trust in man. Now, I'm not saying you never trust a person, right? But when I'm putting my trust in people more than I am in God, then I'm going to be anxious. Because people will let me down. I will let people down. There's no ways we can live up to the expectations we have of each other or not hurt each other, either knowingly or unknowingly. Um, and so putting our trust in God, not in man. Seeking and seizing every opportunity to face your fears. We want to run away from them. I know I do. I have, right? We don't like to be uncomfortable. We don't like to be in pain. If you ignore anxiety, it will get worse. Potentially leading to panic attacks, a nervous breakdown, strokes, loss of physical, um, you know, good he uh, physical health. We can be like ostriches with our heads in the sand. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, said, We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience. 
but he shouts to us in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deafening world, a deaf world. And so we do need to listen to that anxiety and and deal with it. Fight fear with fear. The Bible instructs us to fear the Lord. So understand your reverence, your need to, to revere and trust in the Lord. Don't trifle in that because he holds the keys to life and death. But we also need to grow in our love uh, by abiding in Christ and knowing that God's wrath has passed over us. Think about it for a moment. I think one of our greatest fears is death, separation and death. It's one of the core great fears that all of us face and will have to deal with one day. If Christ on the cross has dealt with that, and we know that we have everlasting life, that even if Satan takes our lives, he cannot do that without God's permission because God himself holds the keys to life and death. So if our greatest fear has been dealt with, then why on earth do I get this kind of dry mouth and racing heart when I have to speak to people? My goodness, hey? Imagine that. If, if that's been handled... And we've been forgiven at the cross. There should be little to be afraid of. And yet we continue to fear. In terms of panic attacks or when you notice that you are feeling anxious, get your breathing under control. One of the things that I know a little while ago, not, not that long ago, I was in a total tiz and a panic. It was all about, um, you know, kind of we had to rush to something and running late. And, and my friend just said, Jane, take a deep breath. As she said, I didn't even know I was anxious. It's like, just slow down and take a breath. Um, when you're having a panic attack, panic attack, you can hyperventilate, and so you're wanting to slow your breath down. Uh, because it's also very physiological, the breathing, slowing your breathing down, and, and allowing the oxygen, the breath of life that God gives, to physiologically work in you can really help hugely. We underestimate that rest and slow down stop being so busy taking control of things so one of the things i needed to do a couple of years ago so i've been back in the cape for two years i had three years of the most stressful time of my life for a whole lot of different reasons and i realized that if i didn't stop completely and take a three-month break now not everybody has that luxury or that ability But if I didn't stop completely, my anxiety had gotten so bad that I didn't even know what the triggers were anymore. I was just permanently in a state of anxiety, permanently had a knot in my stomach. And and I needed to rest. And there's a part of me that believes that if I stop, the world will stop. (laughs) I'm one of those people, maybe a bit like some of you, like, but... I can save the world, I can fix things, you know, and people depend on me, and how can I stop, because what will happen to this person, what will happen to that? But I needed to stop and rest and get to that place of shalom and that peace again in order to have my body physiologically experience peace again and stop with the adrenaline running um, so that I could then, when I kicked back into work, see, immediately I was able to see the triggers. 
not only external, but the thoughts that went on in my mind that were triggering uh, my anxiety. Usually around performance, around time, the clock, clock watcher, I'm like, got to be on time, can't possibly be late. When I worked in Joburg <laughs> with BC at the church, uh, at Hope Church, uh, it was a different, different worldview in terms of time. I was uh, going to go to a wedding, and if I'd gone on my own, I would have arrived there at least half an hour before. I went with some of my African brothers and sisters, and they fetched me 45 minutes after the wedding started, and we got there, and the wedding still didn't happen for another hour and a half. <laughs> but for me, the clock is such a big thing, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, so we need to deal with what's going on and we may need to rest because when we rest, we're trusting God. We're saying, I'm not in control, God, you are. And even if things fall apart, it's okay. Because if I don't let the other things fall apart, I will fall apart eventually. That's, it. That's what happens when you get to the point of panic, attack, panic attacks and nervous breakdown. And then... Um, Go on the offensive against anything in any area in your life where you are self-medicating. By that I mean alcohol, drugs, workaholism, Netflix. What are you using to avoid or to deal with your anxiety that is ultimately not really helpful in the moment it will be, but it just will cause more trouble and more anxiety ultimately. Um... And then fix your mind on good things. I'm going to, um, where are we on our slides? Let's just pop to the next slide and then I'm going to read a scripture to you that is helpful. So um, there's a quote there from um, Groves and Smith in the book Untangling Emotions. Every fear brought before the Lord, every anxiety or terror weathered under the shelter of his wings reinforces our choice to trust. Um, and then a second quote that I've got there is uh, from Scripture. You will keep him or her in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon you, because he or she trusts in you. And that's from Isaiah 26, verse 3. Um, on the worksheet, there are a bunch of um, scriptures and other helpful resources. But I just want to end this part uh, before I sort of tell you about some of those resources with, with the scripture in Philippians chapter 4, um, which is just a real anchor for my soul in anxiety. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. So see what comes before. And then it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything... By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through, through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. In other words, practice. 
and the God of peace will be with you. We often hear about the power of positive thinking. I want to talk about the power of God's word to speak truth to the lies that we tend to believe. The power of his word to transform your thinking and of his Holy Spirit to transform us. Take every thought captive. Do one thing at a time. Be present in the moment. If I tell you now, don't think about pink elephants. Don't think about pink elephants. Don't think about pink elephants. Goodness gracious me. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. <laughs> the scripture that has don't be anxious has a whole lot of stuff before and after that tells us where to focus our minds, where to find our hope, and where to put our trust. The last quote I want to um, just throw, uh, put before you is one uh, from a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Um, it's by John Comer, and he said, We are not God. We are mortal, not immortal. We are finite, not infinite. Image and dust, potential and limitation. One of the key tasks of our apprenticeship to Jesus is living into both our potential and our limitations. And in that, there is an anxiety, right? How do we live into our potential, but also our limitations? Most of my anxiety has to do with me not wanting to deal with my limitations. I tend towards wanting to live out a potential above and beyond what I'm capable of. For other people, they don't want to live into their potential at all, right? <laughs> and they need to gear up a little bit. And living in that tension can be quite challenging. So there are a lot of different books that are really helpful. There are a couple that I've put up there, Untangling Emotions, um, is a wonderful book um, by Alistair Groves um, and um, what's the second one? I can't see it now. Um, so that's a really, really helpful book. Um, Ed Welsh has some great books. There's one called Running Scared, very easy to read. He has a number of other books. Um, there's this little one that CBD have got there when you go for a cup of tea now. Um, a small book for the anxious heart. There's another one by Timothy Lane that's available, Living Without Worry. And Paul Tortages has written this really helpful, it's almost like a devotional, it's, it's sort of a month through anxiety, works through some short scriptures and, and helps with things. There are a lot of really good resources available. But the most important one, the one that is going to help you the most, those are good aids and worth reading, but knowing the God who helps us to deal with our anxiety, that the Bible, the, the Holy Scriptures, is the, is the place where you will get the most relief from your anxiety. So I think I'm going to hand back to Michael.